Hello and welcome to the Korean Beauty Show podcast. I'm your host, Lauren Lee, K-beauty expert, founder of Style Story, where you can shop, learn and explore the world of Korean skincare and the founder of K-beauty brand, Jellico. So a big welcome back to the show and a hello to all of our new listeners. If you are joining us for the very first time, then a big welcome. I hope that you are keen to dive headfirst into the world of K-beauty because that is what we talk about on this show. Uh, We've got lots coming up on this week's episodes. Now, I did mention last week that I was hoping to have a second episode out for you doing something a little bit different, but because that is an episode with somebody else, uh, I'm still trying to get a hold of everything that I need to to actually release that episode for you guys. So hold on for me just a little bit longer. I'm pretty sure that I'll be able to share it with you soon, but I just wasn't able to get my hands on it in time before last week. Uh, And in between that, uh, I was wrapping up my trip to Dubai. Uh, There was just too much going on. I didn't get down a time to sit down and record another episode. Uh, But the episode all about K-beauty in Dubai uh, and just beauty and cosmetics generally in Dubai will be coming to you as the second episode this week. Uh, So I'm really keen to have a chat through all the things that I saw. It was my first time in the Middle East doing anything more than a transit. I think I've transited through a couple of times, but you definitely don't get anywhere near a sense of what the country is actually like. So I'm going to go through all of that. Uh, Lots and lots of interesting things going on over there. But first things first, let us have a look at the news headlines for this week. And once again in the headlines was that clean beauty is showing no signs of slowing down in Korea. That's probably not shocking to anyone at all, particularly listeners of our show. But one offline retailer in Korea has announced that the cumulative sales of the brands that they have selected as clean beauty has exceeded 500 billion won, which is a lot of money. And they've said that they've done this in less than three years since the debut of the category in June 2020. So who is doing the best out of this trend offline in Korea? It is actually the indie beauty brands. So one of the products and brands that was cited as an example of a leading clean beauty product was Round Labs Docto Toner. Uh, And what is being highlighted as the benefit of this trend, in addition to stuff like sustainability, is product safety. So this is really how they are choosing to market and push this trend forward in Korea. So not only discussions around packaging options, and we are certainly seeing more and more brands doing more in that space, introducing refills, uh, you know, size upping their products. I've noticed quite a few brands making larger versions of their products than previously. I guess, you know, to give customers not only more bang for buck, but it also means that your product is going to last just that little bit longer. So you don't have to keep going back for more. I know our Dewy Glaze toner for Jellico, that was one of the biggest things that we had in mind when we did that, because we knew that some of the elements of it would not be as easily recyclable. So we put it in as big a jar as we could realistically do. It's 155 mils and customers of ours have come back and said that lasted me a whole year. Uh, A lot of people are saying that it's taking them a long time to get through, which is exactly what we wanted. So this is being 
all tied up in this one trend of clean beauty in Korea. But the product safety claims in particular really do make me raise my eyebrows. And the reason for that is Korea's MFDS, which is the body that's basically in charge of all of this stuff, they are already quite diligent at removing problematic ingredients from the market. And they actually frequently do that. You might recall last year there were concerns over a particular browning ingredient in hair shampoos that were being used to cover and conceal gray hairs. And they actually did step in and remove that Uh, ingredient. And the company that was one of the huge players in the market was basically forced to reformulate and do everything without that ingredient, which they've obviously done and they've come back with a new product. But whenever I see claims like this being highlighted, it always makes me very skeptical for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, In most parts of the world, these leading governing bodies are already on top of all of this stuff. You know, we have customers from time to time come to us and say, well, I don't want a product that contains any toxic or harmful chemicals. But the thing is, toxic and harmful chemicals are already regulated in Australia. We have something called the poisons standard. And whenever you are importing or making a product or whatnot, you actually need to check the ingredients and most importantly, the percentages of the ingredient in the product against all of the listed ingredients in the poison standard. Because if they're in there, And if they are in there listed at a particular percentage, there's all these other things that go along with what you need to do. For example, at the lower level, so the the not so harmful, but potentially harmful if they are, you know, ingested or whatnot, you might need to put warnings on the product somewhere to say what to do in case of an emergency, in case a person has an allergic reaction or whatnot. If it's even if it's regulated even more stringently than that, then oftentimes it will be pharmacy only medication. And there's a whole lot of ingredients that fall into that category in Australia, things like hydroquinone, for example, and things like vitamin A at certain levels as well. It's pharmacy only medicine. So you actually can't include it in regular skincare products. It needs to be in the therapeutic products or it needs to be you know, sold to you by a pharmacy. So it's not like retailers like this retailer are actually conducting their own tests into a product's safety. So when they're saying that the the product and the ingredients are safe, really all they are doing is on the basis of what's in the ingredients list, which oftentimes has been marked up against an, an inky list. You know, there's all of those websites out there now that you can decode the ingredients list. And these are actually all quite helpful but where they kind of stray and fall off the off the road a little bit for me is when they start l- listing ingredients as, you know, good or bad. It's just often not that simple. You know, red light, orange light, green light, all of that kind of stuff. It just doesn't work that way. And there's been a really recent example of that in the beauty industry. And that is a brand called Kozas, which is not a Korean beauty brand at all. It is a, uh, a Western beauty brand 
They have had recently a scandal with mold appearing in a lot of their concealers. And this was one of those things that was first brought up on social media. And more and more people that had this product realized that their product was also affected. People were saying that the product started smelling like blue cheese. And then other people were noticing mold in it. And what the uh, the people that have taken a look at this cosmetic chemists and whatnot have said that it's likely due to an inferior preservative system that affected the shelf life of the product. Apparently for this particular product, which I admittedly have not tried, there was a period after opening specified on the product, which was six months. So within six months of opening your concealer, you basically need to have used it all up or throw it out. Uh, And, you know, that's not a lot of time to use up an entire concealer, particularly if you're not the kind of person that's concealing things every single day. Uh, You know, some people go really heavy handed and you've probably seen people like that on Instagram doing makeup tutorials. But a lot of normal people, I think, use products like that quite sparingly. And, you know, that's a lot of product. And what people were finding was after, say, nine months or so, mold had started appearing. Uh, when they weren't expecting it. So that just goes to show you that the ingredients list cannot tell you everything. Even though a product might look clean, obviously if it's growing mold, I don't think there's too many people that would say that that is a very clean product. So this trend in general has shown no signs of slowing down. But for reasons like that, I'm always a little bit skeptical of this. You know, it's basically grouping a whole bunch of products together Uh, just on the basis of their ingredients list. And in Korean beauty particularly, it has actually really distorted uh, the industry and, in my opinion, the growth of the industry in some categories as well because you tend to notice a whole bunch of releases that look really, really similar to stuff that's already on the market. And it's just a lot harder to get excited about stuff that's all kind of the same. And one of the reasons is that so many local manufacturers and so many local chemists are trying to manufacture everything to these green grade standards so that the companies can market themselves as clean. Uh, And I know that when we've sat down and had conversations with manufacturers, you know, they're quite surprised when we're like, no, 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 we don't care about clean. We want to make a safe, effective, stable product. Uh, And we don't care if we can't, you know, call it green grade on the EWG list. That is not our standard. We want products that will work. And it goes without saying that they're going to be safe because we're going to subject them to all of the proper tests. We're going to subject them to stability tests. We're going to test them in the packaging. We're going to go through all of these products. We will know for sure that they are safe. But in terms of all of this fear mongering around ingredients, you know, that's not something that we really want to lean into because we've got so much more to say about our products than just that. That was our personal choice. And we actually do, for nearly all of our products, meet all of the big sort of retail standards for what's considered clean, you know, clean at Sephora, all of that sort of stuff. Our products do meet those requirements. But it's one of the things that we've chosen not to really lean into in the marketing because at the end of the day, it doesn't help. If consumers are confused, confused about all of this kind of thing. It just doesn't encourage people to purchase in the end. I think you need more to say about your products than clean. And I think a lot of brands are getting a bit lazy as well because of this. Um, So anyway, look, that's a little bit of a tangent, but I saw that in the news headlines and it just made me think, 
Um, you know, honestly, this has been going strongly now since even before June 2020. Um, you know, the whole reason categories like this have been invented is because people are obviously looking for these products. But I think it's actually overall having a bit of a negative impact on the Korean beauty industry uh, and it's stifling creativity uh, more and more. I, that's my own personal opinion. I'm less excited by a lot of the new stuff that, you know, is being presented to me by brands and whatnot because I just think to myself, I've seen this product like 50 times. Why would anyone buy this from you rather than company A, B, C, D, E, F, you know, all the way through? Um, so that's just my personal perspective on it. Uh, I, I don't know how much longer it's going to go on for, but I think people are going to have to come up with something a little bit different and a little bit new because being clean in 2023, I really don't think is enough of a platform to, to stand on. That's my honest opinion. All right, off my soapbox and let's get on to the question of the week. This came through from Lindsay, who is one of our podcast listeners, and she said, I was listening to the episode about vitamin C and I had some questions about Applebee's Bee Pollen Propolis Ample Serum. So she has ordered this. So she's wondering about it. It has ascorbic acid in it. It's not one of the major ingredients. And she was wondering, do I need to store it in the fridge? Do I need to slowly introduce it to my routine after patch testing it? Do I need to use it at a different time of the day than my acids? Do I need to use it before my toner or not because it's pH balanced? So lots and lots of questions. And, you know, I understand that particularly when it comes to L-ascorbic acid, it is one of those confusing ingredients. So the good thing about this is I've actually used this product extensively myself. I really, really enjoy it. So yes, this one does have pure ascorbic acid in it, but as Lindsay already picked up, it's not one of the core ingredients. And so what that means is I don't think it is likely to oxidize anywhere near as quickly as the products that have it really high up. It's the bee pollen that really is the main ingredient in this, and ascorbic acid is not one of the, the key ingredients in this. Normally, most of them will be somewhere in the top five if they're going to be a major component of the product. So for this one, I've used it extensively. It does not seem to oxidize quickly in or out of the fridge. So I don't bother refrigerating it and I've never had any problems with it. Like I always say with all products, I would definitely patch test it just because, just in case you never know. But in my experience, I found it to be very mild and gentle. So I don't think that this kind of product, you need to worry too much about using it at a different time than your other acids. Those kind of products, I would be imagining have something like maybe 5% or over of pure ascorbic acid. And I guarantee you if a product has that much in it, they will be advertising it to you because it's such a tricky ingredient to formulate with that they will be very proud of the fact that they've put out a product to market that has that much ascorbic acid in it. So you won't need to guess like, oh, does it or doesn't it? They will definitely tell you. Uh, I don't think there's too many brands out there, particularly in K-Beauty, that won't be shouting that from the rooftop. So 5% or over has more chance of you know, sensitizing your skin in my personal experience. So that's when I would start to maybe just think about what else you're using in your routine. But I think if it pa passes your initial patch testing, you're probably fine to just keep using this one every day. Uh, and because it is pH balanced, again, you don't need to worry about using it before your toner either. This kind 
kind of product doesn't have the same concerns as uh, one that is really relying on ascorbic acid as its key ingredient, then they need to pay a lot more attention to the pH level. Uh, and the thing with Applebee's products is that nearly all of them are pH balanced. They're really focused on that as one of the key uh, pillars and staples of their brand. So you will often find that with their products as well. So we have also had another review for the podcast, which I am very excited to share with you. And this one is from one of our listeners in Great Britain. And I think I'm going to completely butcher this name, but I think it's Frau Erdapfel, I think. I hope I'm pronouncing that okay. And she gave a five-star review for the show. She said, insightful into the Korean beauty industry. I'm a casual UK K-beauty fan who loves listening to Lauren Lee's perspective on the K-beauty industry. Informative and well-researched. So thank you very much for leaving your review. Uh, Anyone else that would like to leave one, I would absolutely love to read it out as well. Uh, So thank you very much for that. Hope I pronounced your name (laughs) correctly. Uh, And we have also had uh, some UK beauty reviews as well for products on the Style Story website. So I'm going to go ahead and share our customers' thoughts on products that they have recently purchased. The first one was a five-star review for Subi's Perfect Pimple Patch. And this customer said, the best pimple patch I've tried. This pimple patch is exactly what I've been looking for. Extremely thin and does the job. Uh, So thank you very much for that review. Uh, We also have one for the Beauty of Joson Apricot Peeling Gel, which was a five-star review. And this customer said, lovely, gentle peel. An important part of my weekly self-facial, use all my Korean beauty products night. Leave skin feeling beautifully smooth. I love that. That, that That's my favorite night as well. <laughs> uh, and the final review we had was for Subi's Powder Cleanser, a five-star review. And our reviewer said, a must-have. This is my first time trying a powder cleanser, and I definitely was not disappointed. It lathers beautifully and helps exfoliate just enough that my skin is always feeling smooth. So thank you very much to everyone who did share their reviews. Uh, And if you would like to share your reviews for any products that you've purchased, please go ahead and do so. And please make sure you collect those sweet, sweet rewards points. And last but not least, I have our recommendation for the week organized for you. And it is another Korean film. So this is another one that was actually released last year. But as you can probably tell, I'm still catching up on all of the last year releases. Hence, I am only getting around to reviewing these for you now. So this one is called The Hunt. It's a 2023, uh, 2022 rather film. And it's actually directed by Lee Jong-jae, who is the actor who starred in Squid Game. So he is directing in it and also starring in it as well. Um, So this one is actually based on three major historical events in the 1980s. So one of them was the Kwangju movement. Uh, Another one was the defection of a North Korean pilot and also a terrorist attack that happened in 1983. So without spoiling anything, there's basically two unit chiefs within Korea's own national security planning agency that are kind of, they're working together, but they're also at loggerheads. 
And what they do is they find out that there is a North Korean mole or a spy with inside, you know, the company within the act the the National Security Agency. And the movie basically goes into the story of how they end up tracking down and finding who it is. It's a very, very good one. There are lots of plot twists in this one. So because it is loosely based on real events as well, stuff that happened in, for example, Bangkok as well, uh, it's I'm not sure because I am quite familiar with this period of Korean history because I actually ended up having to study it at uni years and years ago. But this is also a period of history that gets a lot of airtime in terms of Korean dramas and films and whatnot. I don't know that it's absolutely necessary to understand the full historical background, but I think having um, an understanding maybe of uh, the tense relationship between North Korea and South Korea would be a good understanding. So I think most of you guys know that Korea used to be at one peninsula uh, and that after the Korean War it got divided into two. There's the North, which is, you know, uh, obviously a dictatorship, and then South Korea, which ha- was under different types of dem- uh, a dictatorship at various points in the history, but is obviously now um, a democracy. But for a very, very long time, the, um, I guess, tension between the two countries, and still to a certain extent today, but it was the defining feature of life in Korea and the relationship between the two. You know, there was a lot of suspicion about spies. uh, And so obviously, you know, I, I guess kind of the same thing with the Cold War, right? You know, there was a lot of, you know, sort of chat and movies and all of this about Russian spies infiltrating America. So it was a similar kind of thing in Korea for a long time. People that were suspected of being North Korean spies were obviously, you know, tortured and all of these kind of things. So that's kind of, I guess, a general overview. That doesn't spoil anything about this movie, but that's a general overview of what was kind of going on at the time. The 1980s in particular in Korea was basically a defining feature of Korea's modern history because a lot of stuff went on, um, lots of assassinations, lots of riots, lots of civil strife, I suppose you could say. And then at the same time, you have this backdrop of, you know, is this person a North Korean spy and are our secrets being handed over? Um, To a a much larger extent, I think a lot of that has died down. Certainly these days, you know, you don't see that kind of thing being talked about as much. And I guess it's, you know, the further out we get from from the Korean War, the fewer people that would still be alive who, you know, maybe did live on one side and now are on the other side of Korea, vice versa. You know, like certainly anyone that was born in the 80s doesn't really have any concept of North Korea as like a an entity other than that they might have relatives who were many, many years ago, maybe grandparents or whatnot that were originally from North Korea. But it's sort of further enough back in history now that you don't get all this sort of um, tension around it as a topic, but it is a very, very, very popular topic in movies. And a lot of the really good ones in the last couple of years have been um, focused on these sort of um, key moments in Korea's struggle to become a democracy, which is kind of what this is about. But very, very interesting. If you like a good spy movie, then you will enjoy this. Uh, so yeah, The Hunt is what it's called. Go and check it out if you are interested in Korean film. I think you will enjoy it. I am going to wrap it up there for this week. I will be, sorry, for this episode rather, I will be back in your ears later with another episode. And until then, I will see you on Style Story. 